I want to ask you how you feel about the future. Do you feel confident about the future? Are you single people out there ready to go out and get married, raise a family? Are you ready to start a career? Are you ready to build a business? What about the future? Well, this is not a Christian, but this is Naomi Wolf. She's a feminist, a Democrat. Uh, she's Bill Clinton's 1996 re-election advisor. She said, the USA is moving into a coup situation, a police state. And now we're at something I never thought I would see in my lifetime. It is step 10, and she calls step 10 the suspension of the rule of law. And that is when you start to be a police state. And we're here. They, Democrats, remember, she is a Democrat herself. The Democrats are using the pandemic to engage in emergency orders that simply strip us of our rights, rights to property, rights to assembly, rights to worship, all the rights the Constitution guarantees. Does that put fear in you? You think this is bad? I'll give you another quote from a friend of mine. I call it panic porn prophecy because we'll see here. Seven months until the market crash. He put this out on Facebook about three days ago. This is a guy I used to go to church with, house church, about 20, 25 years ago. Market crash, hyperinflation. Are you ready? Have you been preparing? Famine will follow along with the plague and war with China. The plague will be deadly. It will kill 25% of the world. War with China will leave America destroyed for all practical purposes. Now I have said it as plain as I can. You see where he got that from? You know where the plagues come from and 25%? Does that sound familiar? He got that from the seven seals of the book of Revelation. Now I know this guy. I know he is a futurist to the max. Okay? War with China. You know where that comes from? The 200 million man army because only China is big enough to have a 200 million man army. Now do you think that this is going to make people face the future with confidence and victory? That's why I call it porn. Panic porn. It's terrible. Now, in this chapter that we're going to talk about is much more of a positive chapter because it's less about judgment. It's more about protection of the church from trouble that's coming. All right? So, we start in Revelation 12. One, a great sign appeared in heaven. This is John seeing the vision. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. Now, there's a couple of women in Revelation. One of them is a bad woman. She's the whore of Babylon. Don't get this woman confused with the whore of Babylon. This is the Wonder Woman, as Steve calls her, with the sundress because she's clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet. That's the moonwalk. Now, who does this great woman represent symbolically? This is not difficult. We go to Genesis 37. You know the story there about Joseph. He had a dream. And in his dream, he said, I saw the sun and the moon and 11 stars bow down to me. Well, who was the sun and the moon and the stars? Notice sun, sun, moon, moon, and stars, stars. 12 there, but 11 there, because Joseph, he's the 12th star. All right, let's look at and see. All right, he, then he, that's Joseph, had another dream and told it to his brothers. Look, he said, I, Joseph, had another dream, and this time the sun, moon, and 11 stars were buying down to me. What kind of dream is this that you have had? He said, and that would be uh, Jacob. Are your mother? Now, who is Joseph's mother? Rachel. Rachel. Are your mother and brothers? And who are the brothers of Joseph? You don't have to name them, but in, as a group, they're called the 12, the 12 tribes, the patriarchs. All right. So you got Joseph, uh, Jacob is the son. Rachel is the moon, 
And the 11 stars are the brothers of Joseph bowing down to Joseph. Now, how, how does this t- help us interpret Revelation 12? Because, Jay, I'll ask you, what is, what is this sun, moon, Jacob, Rachel, and the 12 tribes, who do they represent? Israel. Israel. That's who the woman is. Israel. Now, in particular, right now, she is the true Israel. I don't mean the apostate Israel. She's the true Israel, and she's the Old Testament Israel. Okay? All right? We go to verse 2. She was pregnant and cried out in labor and agony as she was about to give birth. Now, the she there, again, is that woman that John saw in heaven. We see that the fact that Israel is in labor fits with Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 66, 7, and 8. Before Zion, that's a standard symbol, Mount Zion for Israel, before Zion was in labor, she gave birth. Before she was in pain, she delivered a boy in an instant. Yet as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her son. So in Isaiah, Zion, Israel is giving birth to her own population. But here in Revelation, who is the woman about to give birth to, do you think? Just take a guess. Nobody wants to guess. All right, we'll see. Well, i tell you what. I better tell you because it will be a while before we get there. She is about to give birth to Jesus. Thank you. She's about to give birth to Jesus, the Messiah. Because Israel was the nation that had to be created by God for Jesus to get born. All right, so this is what we're looking at here. Let's go to verse 3. Then another sign appeared in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and his head were seven diadems. Now, the nice thing about this symbol is John explains it for us. He doesn't explain all of them. I wish he did, but he doesn't. But this one he does. We drop down to Revelation 12, 9. So the great dragon was thrown out. Great dragon, great red dragon. The ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan. All right, so who's the great red dragon? Devil, right. He deceives the whole world. He was thrown to earth and his angels with him. We'll get to verse 9 in just a minute. Now, let me say something about the devil, about the symbols of the devil. We are going to, if you go all through the book of Revelation, you'll see the devil up in heaven fighting Michael. You'll see the devil down on earth chasing the woman that we just saw. You'll see the devil in the abyss sealed up. The devil's all over the place. And to try to reconcile all that, you end up with all this complicated theology. Well, the way I look at it is like parables. If you have a parable... If you try to take one parable and match the particulars of that parable with another parable, you end up in total awful confusion because it was never meant to be interpreted that way. And I think the same thing is true of these prophecies. These symbols, they're never meant to be... One one vision is not... The details of one vision are not necessarily meant to tie into the visions of another because you end up in all kinds of problems. And I'll show you why as we get through. I'll, I'll give you an example of that as we go through. Now, this great dragon had seven heads and ten horns. Now, that shows up a lot in Revelation. We're going to look at them right now. First, we'll look at the seven heads. That comes from Daniel 7. Now, that's a lot of Scripture here. Let me just give you a preview of what Daniel was talking about. Daniel was prophesying in more than one vision. He prophesied about the four ancient empires that came up from the sea. The sea, of course, is the Gentile nations, the pagan nations. Four empires. 
Now, I know most of us have not read a lot of ancient history, but this is actually quite standard, and people don't disagree on this too much because it's very clear what Daniel was talking about. The first ancient kingdom is Babylon. That was from about 605 B.C. to 539 B.C., Babylon. And in the vision, Babylon was represented like a lion. Okay? How many heads does a lion have? Okay, so we got one head. I want you to keep track of these heads, all right? Then the second kingdom comes along, that's Persia. You remember the story in Daniel, you know, many, many tickles and all that stuff about Babylon going down and Persia takes over. All right, that's the second kingdom. Persia is symbolized by a bear. All right, how many heads does the bear have? So we add one and one and we get, all right, so we got two heads. Now, another beast appeared. This is the third beast. It was like a leopard. This beast refers to Greece or Macedon. This is the kingdom that Alexander the Great, he didn't create the kingdom, but he was the, he was the guy that came out of that kingdom and conquered the whole ancient world, and he started by conquering the kingdom of Persia. So you see the kingdoms follow one on top of another. They conquer one another. So he conquers Persia, but then he died. He, he left in 332 B.C., died in 323 B.C., and when he died, it was a sudden death with a fever in Babylon. His four generals fought over the remains. So those four generals are represented by four heads. All right, so how many heads did we have at last count? And now we got four. That's six. Now we got the fourth beast. This is the Roman Empire. It appeared frightening and dreadful and incredibly strong with large iron teeth. Uh, this monster is not named. It doesn't have an animal name, but, but it had one head. So now we have how many heads? Seven. Seven heads. Now what we'll see here is the Roman Empire now is greater than the first three empires. In history it was. It had all the power of the first three empires. It was animated by the same demonic force of the first three empires. So when you see seven heads there on this dragon, that means the red dragon is totally identified with the pagan nations in Daniel, which culminated in the Roman Empire. So I'll just say it short. The red dragon is totally identified with the Roman Empire. And I'm going to show you further. I can prove that even further. Okay? So that's the seven heads of the great dragon. Now one thing as we go through here, we've got to keep the dragon separate from the sea beast. All right? The dragon is the devil. The sea beast is the Roman Empire. So you've got to keep that straight. In fact, last week I said something about the devil, the beast being in the abyss, and somebody said the Roman Empire. That beast was the dragon. That was the, that was the devil, not the sea beast and the, and the land beast. So we've got to keep them straight. All right? So now we have to look at the, at the in, in Revelation 17, where the sea beast is being described. Revelation 17, verse 9. Here is the Bible with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. So we're going to see that the seven heads are used as a symbol three times. First of all, it represents all the power of the Roman Empire, as I just showed you in Daniel. Here it refers to seven mountains on which the woman, that's the whore of Babylon, apostate Israel, seven mountains. Well, what's Rome, for, Rome famous for? Still today, if you go to Rome, the tour guides will tell you about the seven hills of Rome, right? They've got the same names, Aventine, Celian, Capitoline, Escoline, Peloton, Quirinal, and Vimino, same names. 
So this is so well known that anybody reading this would know exactly what the red dragon is identified with. Because the seven heads are seven mountains. John tells us, he tells us that the seven heads are seven mountains. What he's telling us is this beast, this dragon, is, is the force behind the Roman Empire. Now we go to the next verse in Revelation 17, verse 10, we read this. They, this is referring to the seven heads, are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come, and when he comes he must remain for a little while. Now that seems a little obscure, but actually it's not difficult at all. If you take a preterist interpretation, when was John writing the book of Revelation? Mid-60s, right? Who was emperor in the mid-60s? Nero. He, he started in the late 50s and he died in 68. So John was writing when Nero was emperor. Five have fallen. Here's the first five emperors of the Roman Empire. Julius Caesar, number one. Augustus Caesar, number two. Tiberius, number three. Caligula, number four. Claudius, number five. Five have fallen. One is. He is because that's when John's writing the book. And uh, the other has not yet come, and when he comes he must remain for a little while. After Nero committed suicide in 68, that started the, the so-called year of four emperors when the, the Roman Empire almost collapsed. There was so much civil war. The first emperor was a general named Galba. He lasted for a couple of months, a little while, and he died. Now see how, easy, how nicely that fits the book of Revelation. History. Fit. Old Testament and history fits much better than somebody's speculations out of the newspaper, in my opinion. All right, so we got uh, ten horns. <clears throat> John tells us, again, to interpret that. The, ten, now the, 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 the red dragon has ten horns, but this is talking about the sea beast, which is associated with the dragon. We've got to keep them separate. So this is the sea beast, but it's the same thing. The ten horns you saw were ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they will receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. Now, this is a little bit more complicated. There was a theologian in the late 1800s named Farrar, F.W. Farrar, who identified the ten kingdoms. And it's really interesting because I, was, I wanted to check that up, so I went to Wikipedia and I said, oh my gosh, there's more than ten. And what happens is, you know, all empires do this, just like America, we had added Alaska and Hawaii. And we had Virginia, then we sliced off West Virginia. The ch political subdivisions change. And in the Roman Empire, they changed a lot. And so Wikipedia just listed them all. And I couldn't figure out exactly it, in, in the mid-60s what was the situation. And I'm not skilled enough in ancient history to know. So I just took this guy's authority for it. But I will say this. This is something I thought about today. You know, 10 is a symbolic number. It's the number of manyness or completion, cattle on a thousand hills. It just could be symbolic of a lot of kingdoms that the Roman Empire had because the Roman Empire was a polyglot kingdom. It had all kinds of countries in it. Thracians, Greece, Greeks, all kinds of uh, tribes from across the Danube, as well as uh, people from Asia, Syria, Egypt, Africa, Spain, Gaul, Britain, and Germany. All these countries that were not Romans, they were cobbled together in the Roman Empire. And so when you add seven heads, and it's obviously that refers to Rome, and ten horns, well, it's logical to think the ten horns refer to Rome. All right, so the sea beast and the dragon are one, and they're not one and the same, but they are operating in tandem. They're operating together. All right. 
Now remember I said one of the themes of Revelation was the judgment on the land and, and well, I said two beasts. Our second theme was two beasts are judged, the land beast and the sea beast. Okay, well, we're going to get a little bit into the sea beast now. We've been talking about Rome, uh, uh, Israel mostly in the month or so I've been here, but now we're going to start talking about Rome. All right, we go to Revelation 12, 4, and his tail, that's the dragon's tail, swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to earth. First thing, this cannot be literal. No dragon ever threw stars to the earth, because if he did literally, we wouldn't be here today. All right? This is something in John saw in his vision. And most theologians say this is referring to what happened in the fall of the demons before the creation of mankind at the beginning of time. There was a rebellion of the angels and they, and they came to earth. But this idea of throwing them to the earth, this, is a, this, is, this speaks of judgment. They've lost their power, they've lost their glory, and boom, they're down on the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth. She's about to give birth to whom? Jesus. Why would the dragon want to stand before the woman so that when she gave birth he might devour her child? Because the devil hates Jesus, right? All right? So that's not a problem. Now, let's talk about this idea about the dragon being thrown down, thrown out of heaven or thrown down to the earth. John, in five verses later, in Revelation 12, 9, mentions it again. He says, So the great dragon was thrown out, the ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world. He was thrown to earth and his angels with him. Now notice that here the devil threw the angels down. Here it says he, he was thrown to earth, Satan and his angels with him. It sounds like the angels were thrown down, maybe not by the devil, maybe by God. It's not really clear, but the, God's behind it all anyway. The idea is the devil is defeated. Now we're going to go through a lot of verses here. And the application is going to be very easy, is that we are the victors. The devil is the loser. Okay? I don't care how much grief he causes the church. He loses. Jesus is the winner. So we go to Revelation 12, 5. And she, that's the woman in the sky, the wonder woman, clothed in the sun. She gave birth to a son, a male child. Now, who is that? Right? Who is to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Let's take the rod of iron first. It's a symbol. If I'm a king and I'm sitting on my throne right here, and I've got my scepter, what is the symbol of the scepter? Authority. authority. So Jesus has authority. And the book of Revelation shows us that not only does Jesus have authority, but so does the church have authority. Jesus rules with a rod of iron, and the church rules with a rod of iron. Let's start with Jesus ruling with a rod of iron in another passage besides this one. Revelation 19.15, first part of the verse, a sharp sword came from his mouth so that he, as Jesus, might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. <laughs> Likewise, the church rules with an iron rod. And here in my translation, Holman Christian Study Bible translates it as iron scepter, which a scepter is a, a, a symbol of authority. The one who is victorious and keeps my works to the end, I will give him authority over the nations. The one who is victorious. Is that talking about Jesus? Who's that talking about? Us. It's talking about us. And he will shepherd them with an iron scepter. Now, 
The commentators disagree a lot on exactly who is ruled with this iron, iron rod. Some people say it's the church. Jesus rules the whole church with an iron rod because He's king over the church. Some people say, no, it rules with an iron rod. He's going to rule over all the nations. And you get into some, you get into some controversy over that, which I'm not going to get into. But the thing about God, Jesus is ruling is He rules now over the church and you might say, well, does he rule over Kim Sung Il in North Korea? Is he ruling over America with, I won't mention his name. Is he, is he really, I don't want to get your IRS tax exempt status pulled, Steve. I hope I didn't say anything bad. Yeah, he shall, who shall remain nameless. Um, is, is Jesus ruling over people that aren't in the church today? Well, I remember I read one theologian one time who said that, yeah, Jesus is ruling. He said he's just in mop-up operations. <laughs> he's mopping up the situation, but he's still in charge. But at any rate, he rules. And when you rule, that means the devil doesn't tell you what to do. You tell him what to do if you are ruling with Jesus. Now, the child was caught up to God into his throne. This is in John's vision. He sees the child going, zip up into the heavenly throne room. What does that symbolize? When he ascended, yeah. Yeah. When he ascended into heaven, and I think that's what most people say, this is Jesus being called up to the throne is his, his resurrection. All right, let's go to verse 6. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. Now that... 1,260 days is just another way of saying a certain number of years. How many years? And a half. Very good. Three and a half is a typical symbol of judgment, famine, drought, bad stuff. All right? Just like when Elijah prayed that it did not rain for three and a half years. All right? So the church is in trouble here. Now, what this woman is going to stand for. She is now, once Jesus has gone up to the throne, the symbol now shifts to where she is the new true Israel. She's not the Old Testament Israel when Jesus was born, but now she is the new true Israel, the church. Uh, actually, it's the Jewish church because this woman is the same as the 144,000 who was sealed between the, the seals and the trumpets. And you remember also in this interlude between the trumpets and the bowls, we had an angel measuring off the temple, those who worship therein. That's referring to these Jewish Christians. Now, I've told you this story many, many times. I'm going to tell it again, and this time I'm going to refer to verses in the Olivet Discourse, Luke's version of it, which back up this story. I just looked on the internet recently. Uh, Josephus wrote about Cestius Gallus in 66 AD coming and throwing up an embankment against the Jews in 66 AD. And then I think, Jay, didn't you email Steve asking where you could find the story of the Christians escaping to Pella? That's in Eusebius's ecclesiastical history, Eusebius of Caesarea. He wrote in the early 4th century. And there's also another guy named Epiphanius who I think, I think um, Eusebius quotes him. But it was well known in the early church, this story that I'm about to tell you. It was predicted by Jesus, and it happened exactly like Jesus said it was going to happen. All right, Luke 19.43, For the days will come when your enemies will build an embankment against you, 
surrounds you and hem you in on every side. That describes what Cestius Gallus did in 66 AD. He came, he built siege works all around Israel and hemmed them in where they couldn't get out. Inside the city in 66 you have, the, you have factions, one of which were the Zealots. They were crazy Jews expecting the Messiah. And you had the Christians. Okay, So they were hemmed. So Jesus predicted that was going to happen to you guys. For days will come on you. He's talking to His disciples. We go to verse 20 and 21 in Luke 21. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that its desolation has come near. The armies, which of course were Roman armies, they caused an abomination of desolation. They polluted the land with their idolatry, their idolatrous standards of eagles, and they desolated the land by destroying it. Its desolation has come near. And near, it was three and a half years away. Then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. Those inside the city must leave it. And those who are in the country must not enter it. All right, so they must leave. But how are they going to leave? They're surrounded. The embankment's against you. You're surrounded and hemmed in on every side. How are they going to leave? Well, this is what happened. You can read it in Josephus. You can read it on the Internet. I just saw it the other day. What happened was is that for reasons that nobody knows, some people say that maybe Cestius Gallus thought he couldn't uh, carry out a siege long enough to t- take the city down, or maybe because winter was approaching. For whatever reason, nobody knows, he pulls his troops back from his siege. And now the zealots say, oh, the Messiah is going to deliver us. And so they rush out of the, of the city. They, they go north. You see, uh, Cestius Gallus retreats north to a place called Beth Horon. The zealots track him there. And they kill 6,000 Roman soldiers. It was the biggest, one of the biggest defeats Rome ever had in a rebellious province. I looked this up on Wikipedia the other day. It was a total disaster. The zealots were so happy about it, they're jumping up and down and said, see there, we can't lose. We're going to withstand the Romans and we're going to establish Jerusalem as the king of the world because the Messiah has delivered us. Well, while they're celebrating, the Christians remember what Jesus said. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by the armies, flee. So that's exactly what they did. They got out of Jerusalem. They went northeast. I'd say it's about 40 miles or so on the map. Cross Jordan River and they go to Pella. I looked up Pella. It's archaeological ruins are still there today. There's no city there. It's on the edge of the Jordan uh, Desert. And the Christians stayed there for the whole 1,260 days, three and a half years. The woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared for God. It fits perfectly. I read where Pella was actually a city where the Romans provided housing and land for military veterans. Oh, I didn't know that. It was a city full of Roman soldier veterans. That'd be the last place the Roman army would be interested in attacking. So in that sense also it was a very safe place. I've never heard that. That's cool. Yeah. All right, we go to verse 7, Revelation 12. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels wage war. Now this is what I'm telling you about the problem with worrying about one vision to the next. We just saw that the devil had been thrown down to the earth, right? Well, now he's back up in heaven fighting Michael and his angels. And in Revelation 20, he's going to be in the abyss sealed up. And I think it was Revelation 9, somewhere in the past, earlier chapters of Revelation, he had a key he was a star that fell from heaven, and he had a key letting demons out of hell. So he's all over the place. 
So you could try to reconcile all that if you want. But to me, it's just easy to say this is one vision and has one point. And the point here is that the dragon is fighting angels, and angels are those who protect the people of God. In fact, Michael, I read somewhere, is noted for being in the Old Testament the angel that guarded the Israelites. He's a guardian angel type of guy. I tried to look that up on the internet, but all I got was a bunch of New Age stuff. So I couldn't, I, I read this in a commentary somewhere, and I can't back it up yet, but I, I have no reason to doubt it's true. So uh, we have angel, good angels fighting the dragon and his bad angels. So they waged war, go to verse 8 and 9, and they were not strong enough. That means the, de- the demons, the devil and his angels, were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. So there you have another thrown down. The serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and the angels were thrown down with him. Now this idea of thrown down, the word is balo to throw. The down is added because it's going down to the earth. So the translators just said thrown down. That's the same word basically that is used when Jesus cast out demons or the apostles cast out demons. Ekbalo, throw out. So this idea of the devil being thrown down to the earth, again, is just to show that he's beaten. They were not strong enough. They were beaten. They were not able to kill the woman, the Jewish believers. The devil was not able to do that. We also see this idea being thrown down in the very next verse, second part of the verse. The accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. And the idea is he's not going to accuse us anymore. How does the devil accuse us? You're no good. You're a failure. God doesn't love you. God hasn't forgiven your sin. You committed the unpardonable sin. You're a worthless piece of garbage. No. He can't do that anymore. He's thrown down. He who accuses them before God day and night. Here's another verse that shows what our attitude ought to be toward the devil. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Hades is death. The devil's in charge of death. And the image is of a city. When your city has gates, the gates are closed to keep the attackers out. Who are the attackers in this verse here? It's us. The Christians are the attackers. I know you've heard that before. I just emphasize it again. We are supposed to be on the offensive against the devil. Now, unfortunately, I know in China especially, these young kids come to the Lord, and it's not long before they start worrying about demons. I remember one young lady, she was a student of mine. She says, they're looking at me through the windows. I said, no, they're not. Yes, they are, the demons. I said, okay, well, who's in charge of the demons? Are you in charge of the demons, or are the demons in charge of you? And it took a while for her thinking to change, to see who is in charge. We are, not the devil. Now, let's look at this verse here, verse 9. The serpent of old, that's the devil, who's called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. How did the devil deceive the world about the early church? I just got some list, a list of deceptions here. People called the early church apostates because they had left Judaism. The Jews said, you're apostate. You don't believe God anymore. 
The Romans said they were atheists because they had no special religious temples. They made it homes. They were called ritual murderers and cannibals because of the Lord's Supper. Oh, you're eating body and blood? You're eating human beings? Oh, that's real nice to be a Christian. And you're doing it at night where nobody can see you. They were called social revolutionaries because the early Christians proclaimed a kingdom. Oh, a kingdom. Now, what are the Romans going to think about that? And they were also called haters of mankind. So the devil's been trying to deceive the world from the get-go. But now, can he deceive the world in such a way that the church will not spread the gospel? Can he do that? He cannot. Revelation 23. He, that's, I think that's God, not Jesus. God threw him into the abyss, closed it, and put a seal on it so that he would no longer deceive the nations. Now, that doesn't mean the devil can't come after people that are doing witchcraft and new age stuff and mess their minds up and give them bad dreams and get them caught in sleep paralysis and all the other idiotic demonic stuff that new age people do. Sure, the devil can do that. But the devil can't stop a new age person from believing in Jesus. I remember a story one time I read years ago, I never forgot. There was this woman who was a witch and she was a world class witch. She competed in witch tournaments. And she... She, they would have double, excuse me, single elimination tournaments, the brackets. And they would sit here and say, all right. And when they get up at the higher brackets, somebody would pull a gun and she had to stop the gun with her hand, with a bullet, with her hands. You know, crazy stuff like that, you know. And the prize was she got to have sex with Lucifer on midnight masses. I mean, this woman was deep. She said she communicated with demons that knew languages. They knew all kinds of languages. And at any rate, a friend took her to a little country Pentecostal holiness church. And she's sitting there listening there. And all of a sudden she said, you know, I think I want to get saved. And the demons in her head started saying, no, no, Lucifer's going to be real mangry with you, which I'm sure was true. But, but she says, I, shut up, shut up. I'm going down there. And she went and she got saved. And the demons tried to kill her for several years afterwards. It was terrible what they did, you know, how they tried to kill her. But my point is, the devil was not able to deceive that woman anymore. She became a Christian. So we need to realize that I don't care how bad things look about how when people don't want to believe in Christ, the devil can't stop the spread of the church. The number of people in the world, Christians in the world, is climbing and has been since the first century. And that's something you don't hear a lot of futurists say. They're talking about apostasy, and when Jesus comes back, we find faith on the earth, which is a total misuse of that scripture. You know, no. The number of Christians is going up and up and up. Now think about it. The number of demons in the world, is it finite? Is it fixed? Or is it increasing? Number of demons. Huh? Well, that's a nice political answer. Well, <laughs> I would say most probably absolutely because once they've fallen, I don't think the demons are able to, to get new converts. Maybe they can. I don't know. Maybe they can go to an angel and say, wouldn't you like to come over to the dark side? Okay. So we'll just say that they're finite. All right? They're finite. Now, how about the number of Christians in the world? Is it going up? Now, do you realize mathematically what that means is that every demon on this planet has got to deal with more and more and more Christians, which spreads him thinner. That's just straight logic. I didn't read that anywhere. It hit me one day. So we need to be confident about our ability to overcome demons.
All right, let's go to Revelation 12, 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. Now, I want to focus on that word now, the salvation of power and kingdom. Is the king, you hear a lot of Bible teachers talk about the kingdom of God is now and not yet. That covers every possible position. If you think the kingdom of God is the millennium at the end of the world, if you're pre-mill, well, that's not yet. But if you like I, and, and I'm post-mill, I believe that the kingdom of God is between the first and second advent. Kingdom is now. So that satisfies both of us, right? Kingdom is now and kingdom then. The kingdom is, of course, increasing in power and in numbers as we get toward the end. All right? So, but my point is, it's real easy to emphasize the future, especially if you're a futurist. But what about the now, the kingdom now? Now the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. I assume that's when John was having his revelation is when the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. We can read verses to that effect. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. Does that include authority over demons? Yes. Oh, yes. When did, notice this tense here, has been given? Does that indicate 2,000 plus years in the future? Or does that indicate at the time Jesus was speaking, which was about AD 30? He's already got it at AD 30. Okay? And of course, if Jesus has that authority, he lives in us, we have the authority too. Because we have the rod of iron and he has the rod of iron. Matthew 12, 28, if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, there's the idea of demons falling, losing their power, which we've been talking about. If I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So the kingdom of God is characterized by the de devil being defeated. And that's already happened back in Matthew, back in, uh, before 8030. John 12, 31, now is the judgment of this word. Now the rule of this world will be cast out. That means the devil does not have authority over the church anymore, folks. It's over. All right, let's look at another verse with the same idea. This really matches the thrown down idea. Luke 10, 17 through 19, the 72, that's the 72 disciples Jesus sent out to evangelize. The 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. So Jesus associated demons being submitted to his apostles with Satan falling from heaven. He's thrown down. It's over. Then Jesus said, look, I've given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing at all will harm you. Now, one thing, I've, I've actually dealt with people uh, who had demons and had to cast them out. And I've, I've helped other people do it too. And I'll tell you one thing. They're, they're ugly and they're scary. And it's real easy to see why people get scared of demons. Steve and I were in the Dominican Republic and the missionary we were with said that they had just been, help me my memory, the, uh, they said they had been to a place where the demons had lifted this woman up in the air and, and, and bent her over in midair. And that kind of stuff, you know, is scary. And the one, I, one time I was in West Columbia and this girl, I thought she was saved, but it turned out she wasn't. But she, was, she had demons. She was foaming at the mouth. She was throwing flower pots at me. And I'm going like this. In the name of Jesus. And she's literally just. And, and she was jumping up and down on an air conditioner. And uh, I went up to her and I said. I said in the name of Jesus stop that. And I said 
I said, her name was Pam. I said, Pam belongs to Jesus. And the demon said correctly, I found out later, no, no, she's mine, she's mine. And the, just the sound of it was awful. And then she, once I got her, uh, got her into the house, and she was up back up against the door, she started putting her hands around her neck and started squeezing, the demon did. And I thought, this is great. She's going to die here, and I'm going to be in jail. <laughs> I'm serious. I, I was really scared about that. And then when we got her to stop doing that, then she collapsed on the floor. And I, we were in a house for, uh, home for neglected and abused girls. And the other house parent came in, a guy named Doug. And, I was, and the table's here, and Pam is right here, and the hallway's there. And I'm going like this, in the name of Jesus, stop. In the name of Jesus, stop this. Doug comes in, he sees there's trouble. So he just comes running down the hall, puts his arm around Pam from behind, and throws her down to the ground. And so this is what happened. Pam goes down backwards like that. Doug goes down backwards like that, and he's lying on top of her backwards. So he rolls off and grabs an arm. I grab the other arm, and she starts going just like this, lifting Doug straight up in the air. I told Linda, I said, Linda was in another room. The other girls had demons too. And she, I forgot which, I can't even remember what Linda did. She was messing with those demons. They were calmer. Yeah, they were a little bit calmer demons. But my point is, that was the first time I'd ever seen that. And the fear makes you think that you don't have authority over them. But you do. And ever since then, once I, you know, that's why I'm big on this stuff. I, you know, I don't, I don't ever intend to be scared by a demon again. All right, let's move on here. Revelation, uh, here's some more, Colossians 2.15. He, that's Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities, that's demons. He disarmed them. He disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them. That's talking about at the cross. And then in Hebrews 2.14, second half of the verse in 15, through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, through Jesus' death on the cross. So Jesus, when he died, he disarmed the demons. He disgraced the demons. He triumphed over the demons. And then he destroyed the demons. <laughs> right. Amen. That's right. And that's the Jesus we serve. So we do not need to be afraid of demons or the devil. Revelation twelve eleven, And they, that's the accuser of the brethren, the brethren, and the brethren overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. They did not live their life even when forced with death. And notice these Christians are not silent. They're talking about what Jesus has done. And of course the blood of the Lamb is the foundation of it all, His salvation. And, and also they did not love their life even when faced with death. Now you know that's a hard one. Now it doesn't say that they're going to be killed. It says they're faced with death. But they don't compromise their faith when they're faced with death. And that's how they overcome. Now I need to bring up something that could be confusing we said that the 144,000, the woman in the wilderness, that's the Jewish Christians, they were completely protected when they escaped the Pella. But that doesn't mean that every Jewish Christian was saved from death. Because Jesus said, talking about the run-up to the three-and-a-half-year Jewish war, the birth pangs, the, the 40 years before, since he died to the 80, 70, he said, some of them, some of you, they will kill. He said, but not one hair of your head will be harmed. Now how is it possible for not one hair of your head to be harmed if they kill you? Have you ever thought about that? Do you know what I'm talking about when he said that? How, how, do, how, do, how is that possible? 
Mr. Pitt, yeah. That's right. You're going to be resurrected. So the worst that can happen to you is they kill you. Well, that's not the worst. You can get tortured. But, <laughs> but the point is, is that, no, we don't, our life is not the most important thing. It's our testimony about Christ. Verse 12, Revelation 12, For this reason rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. That would be, I guess, all the believers that are already dying in heaven and all the angels that are up there. Woe to the land and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he's only a short time. The short time probably applies to the three and a half years of the Jewish war. The Roman Empire was using the Jews to kill the Jews. They were trying to stop that Jewish rebellion. But the devil is using the Romans to kill the Jews to kill the Christian Jews. He only had a short time to do that, three and a half years. Now, we're going to see this in a minute, but it's not only the Christian Jews, but also the Gentiles, excuse me, it's not only the Christian Jews, but the Christian Gentiles who are being persecuted by the dragon. Um, Nero, you know Nero, right? And how he made Roman candles, how he took Christians and wrapped them in animal skins and put oil on the animal skins, lit them, and as they were burning to death, he would put them up around his garden parties to light up the atmosphere. He was an evil guy. He per- the, his persecution started in AD 64, right after the fire, the great Roman fire, and it lasted until 68 when he died. And some printers point out, well, you know, that's three and a half years. So... Well, we'll get to that in a minute. Let me, let's, I'll just give you a little preview there. Revelation twelve thirteen. When the dragon saw that he had been thrown to earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. The woman, of course, is now New Testament true Israel, true Jewish Israel. And uh, she's being persecuted because the Romans are chasing her. But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time, times and half a time. That's the three and a half years in Pella. The eagle is like, an eagle has strong wings. Take the woman way up in the air. I'm sure John is seeing this in his vision. This is just like in Exodus 19 verse 4. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to yourself. So the Old Testament Israel was carried like eagles through the desert and on into the promised land. It's kind of the imagery there. So, uh, so the woman, this is just more imagery about the woman escaping. We go to Revelation 12, verses 15 and 16. From his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river flowing after the woman to sweep her away in a torrent. But the earth helped the woman. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the river that the dragon had spewed from his mouth. The imagery again is from like in the Old Testament. The Israelites flee, fled. They almost, they could have drowned in the, in the water, in the, or wherever, the Red Sea. But, of course, the Red Sea blew, God blew the, the Red Sea apart so they could get through it. So the water didn't hurt them. But likewise here, it's a little bit different imagery. The earth opened its mouth, the water falls down, and, and the woman is safe. Verse 17 of Revelation 12. So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Now, who are the rest of the woman's children? Yeah, the Gentile Christians, right. I think you're exactly right. Oops, 
I'm already finished? Yep. This is an easy application. Satan's a loser, you're a winner. Any other comments? Go back. So, if the devil wants to use the Romans to destroy the church, but the land of Israel was under God's judgment, so the wrath of the Romans fell on apostate Israel in the promised land, they absorbed the, the flood, which was the, the wrath of the Romans, which allowed the church to escape. So whereas the land was destroyed, they took the torrent of wrath. The church got away. Because the earth opened up, the water goes down, and the, the wrath doesn't fall on the church. Right. It fell on the, uh, yeah, that was good. It's amazing. We finished right on time. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you have given us authority to rule and reign in your kingdom with you, with your power, and with your authority, with your grace, and with your love. And that even though the enemy of, of our souls is, 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 is extremely evil and totally evil, and uh, he has some limited power, nonetheless, Lord, we are overcomers by the word of our testimony, by the blood of the Lamb. Lord, I pray that you give us courage when we face the difficult times that are coming, because I'm, I'm convinced that there is persecution coming on the church today. I pray that we will not shrink back when uh, we're confronted with things, when people blaspheme your name or deny you, Lord Jesus, that we will stand up for you and tell people about you, Lord. God bless all these folks that come out here on a Wednesday night to hear your word. I just pray that you bless their going out and coming in, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was produced by the New Testament Reformation Fellowship, reforming today's church with New Testament church practices. Permission is hereby granted for you to reproduce this message. You can find us on the web at www.ntrf.org. May God bless you as you seek to follow Him in complete obedience to His Word. May your faith in the Lord Jesus be strengthened and your daily walk with Him deepened.